Well, greetings, friends, and welcome to the Gospel Underground podcast, a dialogue taking place in the borderlands between the church and culture. This is episode 1.2, Are You Going Political? This is a question my children asked me already. And we are live, well, live to us from the Power of Change headquarters here in Blacksburg, Virginia. I'm Reed Monahan here with my co-host, Jesse Fury. How are you doing today, brother? I'm doing well. I'm doing. Hey, so you going political, is that... Is that like a riff on, are you going postal? <laughs> well, uh, I was, I worked for the post office and, um, uh, yeah. Are we going political? That's the question for the day. Um, obviously our culture yeah, certainly is highly heightened and political today. And I'm scared to death, Jesse. Um, I'm not going political. <laughs> we are together. We're uh, going we'll, political. we'll make it through. How, how have you been, man? I feel like I haven't seen you like briefly in, in, in our church gathering on Sunday. I got kind of see at a distance but i feel like we haven't really caught up since we talked yeah. almost last time on air in here that's right yeah uh been good we've had birthday stuff all week my youngest silas turned five this week five years old and uh yeah we've been just celebrating like each day it seems like we're doing something different for his birthday he he got all of his friends over he wanted to do a we, we went out into the woods behind our house <laughs> And, and nobody lives really close to us. We went down into the woods and we, we worked, we built a fort together Oh my gosh. with all how, of his how little many friends. Five-year-olds? How many five-year-olds? So there's, there was like three or three five-year-olds and then his older brother, Elijah and his buddies. So all their like <laughs> seven and eight-year-olds and everybody brought the supervisors. They were yeah, helping supervise Yeah. Everybody them. brought machetes and oh hatchets. It was, it was kind of it actually was very scary. A little Lord of the Flies. It was a Lord of the Flies in appearance, thing, yeah. but a little bit uh, build the fort. In, yeah, in, re, in essence, just just, just <laughs> slam a bunch of trees with machetes. You Love know, it. Love you it. know. Uh, so we yeah we built a fort. It was fun. My favorite thing to do uh, with with my son, and he's the one that hangs in with me now, is to branches will fall out here, you know, from the trees, and we go get them, chop them up, and and burn them back here in our fire pit, the solo stove fire pit. We love that fire pit; it's crazy. Um, so yeah, kids with chopping is, is yeah. kind of fun. Yeah, kids with weapons is <laughs> it's really kind of scary. <laughs> yeah, yeah, clowns with weapons is is That's very very scary. Yeah little little bit of crazy movie going on there well hey man i I've, I've been on the road a little bit i was in oklahoma city uh for a week and man with a wonderful church called frontline church there in oklahoma city pastor josh curry shout out man i love these guys uh just a, a blessing did a parent conference did some training in evangelism culture and you know, went to meetings. I mean, it's fun. Fun when you're at a church. We're going to a bunch of meetings is a blessing to your soul, not just feeling like yeah. a bunch of meetings. Then I got home, uh, and then you know we're we're dealing with some health issues. You know, my daughter had a friend's father pass away. We're actually headed to New Jersey to attend some funerals this uh, weekend. But man, it just reminds me the preciousness of friendship. Even hearing about you know your son's birthday, the the beauty yeah. of life, young life, but yet then also. Uh, the reality of well, the one out of one statistic that still holds that we we pass from this earth, and so we live now and focus on anything and everything. So your 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 wife Casey is a confident driver. If you're listening, you got to know there's the, Reed's driveway is like a, a little steep mountain. Yeah, and she backed out of there like oh she she hits it man. She's, oh man. 
She's got it in her. Uh, that ner- was confident. Ner- she's drilled it into her nervous system where she can wing it up. That I, That's I nice. still, even though you know, you, I, I still get uncertain. I'm going to hit something on the side. There's I just don't come down your driveway. Yeah, yeah. We stay actually, out on the street. We, we've actually prayed, Lord, help, help it not ever ice and snow while we live here. It's not going to happen, probably. But the last year we made it through where we didn't have to deal with the yeah, skating down that thing. But yeah, it's kind of interesting. It does come right. Well, into I the admire her confidence, and she stayed. I mean, perfectly straight <laughs> up that hill. Yeah, Casey's a good one. We're kind of joking because we both had, uh, uh, not to be too graphic, things cut out of our thighs to be biopsied this week. And so we both have holes in our legs. And we're kind of commiserating that we're getting old. I'll be 45 uh, in a couple of months. And we're like, hey, we're falling apart. And we're like, not yet. We're holding on. So uh, we're putting like, you know, polysporin on our wounds as a married couple of 21, <laughs> I think a little over 21 years now married. And, uh, Limping through a couple days here uh, together, but by God's grace, uh, encouraged. It's certainly for me, coming off the road, a wonderful thing to be back back with the home team. Yeah, it's good to be home. Well, hey man, we're going in today. Um, Jesse and I off air, we're kind of having a discussion about you know the politicized nature of our society today and culture wars and people going crazy and. What do we think? And and I'm just nervous, Jesse. I just get so nervous talking about politics because, uh, you know, you, you very well know where I lived for eight years was New Jersey. And in our even in our church, there were so many different views. And um, thankfully, in a church, we did have a context where our, our allegiance was higher than just, you know, left, right, center, libertarian, uh, communist, whatever it might be. Um so we were able to talk to each other, but it's still so difficult, and you feel like you're going to alienate somebody by talking about something, man. And certainly there are issues that are biblically oriented, uh, justice-oriented, um, but man, I'm afraid, man. Help me in. Yeah, well, I'm scared too, so maybe, yeah, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm scared. You know, the thing that I'm, I'm really curious about with politics is, is m- more of— the um the way that politics and religion work together and, yeah. and specifically the way that people who are maybe more in my tribe i feel i feel more confident critiquing my tribe and by that uh, you mean certain stripes of christian yeah evangelical conservatives let's okay. say yeah, okay who that, yeah. who seem to conflate maybe religion with politics yeah. so that's kind of what i'm seem curious. to seem to <laughs> especially <laughs> um you know we're we're more into the Bible Belt than New Jersey by a long, long stretch down here. And so we were talking in our last quick podcast, we had a, I had mentioned an article in the, it was actually, it's in the April 2017 edition of The Atlantic by Peter Beinart called Breaking Faith. The culture war over religious morality has faded and in its place is something much worse. That's the byline there. That's an interesting title too from an article in The Atlantic. I'm actually a, a paid subscriber of The Atlantic. I still get the magazine. I do help start uh, start some of my my son and I's bonfires with it. Not because I disagree with everything in it, but because at it's, some point it's the only print magazine I yeah, get. Yeah, at yeah. some point you need some kindling. Yeah, but something much worse than uh, the culture war over religious morality. Man, what's that all about? Yeah, well, you know, you and I both grew up in the middle of the culture wars between the the moral majority on the right and the the more secularist on the left. So, you know, what was your experience of that like? You grew up in Virginia Beach. Yeah, yeah. Interesting thing for me growing up is that, you know, I wasn't a church guy. 
you know, um, my father doesn't really believe in God and certainly has no uh, love for organized religion. But I also lived down the street from Pat Robertson, which who was very much uh, uh, in the politicization of religious faith. And, you know, so I heard my parents who were not on that team talk about, you know, uh, CBN, Pat Robertson. Right. 700, uh, 700. Yeah, 700 Club. Club. And so there was a lot of disdain there. But other than that... Um, I wasn't really involved. I was kind of in into you know sports and physics and math, and then and then young women. So those are the things I was occupying my my upbringing. But certainly uh, very aware of uh, Pat Robertson down the street praying away hurricanes and taking over the world and all this. Kind like of stuff. pressing twelve hundred pounds. Have you seen that? I have you, not you, seen you, that. I'm not going to Google. I'm not going to Google. You should Google that. Yeah, yeah. I, I am going to Google that, and uh, I probably will engage in some. I can relate with some of that. Yeah, uh, with with that. So yeah, that was kind of my upbringing. You know, Pat Robertson. He's kind of you know politics and religion guy. You know, he yeah, takes big, credit big for right stuff. in the middle, yeah. middle of the moral majority. Yeah, exactly. You know. Yeah, yeah. How about you? My, my, How about well, you? I, yeah, my experience was similar, except the physics part. I, was, <laughs> I just really wasn't into yeah. physics. It's a weird bunch. Yeah, um, but you know, it was all over the news, and it was. It, it, as a matter of fact, yeah, I grew up outside of D.C., so it was just oh, yeah. everywhere. Well, D.C., there's nothing political going on in the yeah. suburbs of D.C. Yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. and we, and really, it just turned me off from wanting to think about politics. Yeah. Um, yeah. But it was, you know, it was a big deal, 80s, 90s. I think, I think now, though, we're, we're seeing that, you know, I pastor a church that's full of millennials. Yeah, a lot of young people. And, uh, and, and mostly it's over, right? That, that culture war is faded. Uh, and, and most people are glad of it, right? I yeah. mean, it, yeah. kind of sick of, of, of that war that was happening. And a lot of people in the in the middle of the time, this is what you see in this article. They they wanted that war to end, and had looked for this peaceful tolerance in its place. But but as you can see when you look around, we don't really have a peaceful tolerance in yeah. our culture. Yeah. Uh, this article was in April, so far far sooner, far before the Charlottesville stuff that happened, and really, you know, which which if we look at Charlottesville, uh, in my experience has been much more uh, shocking uh, to, say, white conservative people than, than say, my, my black brothers. Not shocked at all. W- right. Weren't surprised at all, in fact. Um, in, in some ways, saying this, this is what exactly what we expect is just kind of come out into the open because certain people are now threatened or their power is threatened where it hadn't been before. Right. Yeah, and... and- Charlottesville, you know, it's we're close to Charlottesville, yeah, so really it's close. you know, but it it also it does illustrate what what this article is putting forward as the further you get away from a, um, re, re, well, let let me sum this up. So, uh, in part, our religious cultures changed so much, right? right. So, in 1992, he quotes uh, or he 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 cites that there was six percent of the population in America in 1992 were nuns. No religious affiliation. Yeah, no religious affiliation. None. Doesn't just doesn't. This statistic does not get to what they actually believe in their hearts about God or spirituality or the nature of metaphysics, mm-hmm. but their religious affiliation. Yeah, their identity. Reli- we claim yeah, yeah. no denomination, no official religion. And yeah. we love nuns. Yeah, yeah, we love yeah. them. Yeah. Uh, in 2014, that that number jumped from six percent to twenty two percent. In 
2014, that number was 35% among millennials. So Younger people, right. Younger people are less likely to, to mark a box. With organized religion. With organized religion. Yeah. But very spiritual, very spiritual. Yeah, a lot of questions, a lot of interest. Yeah. So secularism has sort of begun replacing a, a religious uh, identity in our country, and it has led to more tolerance in some areas, right? So gay marriage, gender identity... Um, smoking weed, smoking weed. <laughs> yeah. Well, uh, tolerant in some ways, only if you're kind of on the side of being like for smoking weed, because if you're not, then you're seen maybe uh, in a militant way as well on some of those issues. Yeah. We're seeing militant and intolerant, you know, views in other ways as well. Uh, and, and, uh, this is, I think true on both sides of the spectrum. So, mm-hmm. and I think that's one of the things Charlottesville illustrated is the further right you go, uh, the, 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 the less of a religious background there is, right? So Wait you, a second. Tell, tell me what you mean by that. Yeah, uh, so... The further right you go, because, you know, the st- st- statistic that's touted all the time is how many uh, uh, white evangelicals voted for Donald Trump. Um, so so you're saying... And that's, people, prob- yeah, that's still true, but... Yeah. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> but what, 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 what we see actually is that evangelicals uh, are often... In the same category, so so, let's even talk about the word evangelical. That's really one thing I want to talk about. Is it a word worth saving? Because well, yeah, it, yeah. because the reason we use the word evangelical in our kind of cultural political world is because some people decided that Christian wasn't good enough because everyone's Christian. So yeah, you know yeah. whether you go to church or not, you just mark the box for Christian. And they were like, no, 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 we go to church. Yeah. You know, we're born again. We believe in Jesus, so we're yeah. evangelicals. Yeah, which is a word that, that some of our listeners may or may not be familiar with. It comes from the word evangel, which comes from a Greek term for good news. It's it's a word that's derived from the gospel. The gospel. Are, we're gospel people. Right, right. Yeah, but the problem that we're seeing now is that the word evangelical has become a political word. Yeah, a category, a demographic. It's a demographic, to see people. Yeah. And I think that's... Be- primarily because of uh, some of the things you mentioned earlier about the religious right, where the identification of a certain people with one political point of view, and even after this recent election, perhaps with uh, a high commitment to certain power structures rather than simply uh, religious faith. Right, yeah. So how we see this is the less conservatives go to church, so the less, you know, if a conservative didn't go to church, the more likely they were to vote for Trump. Uh, In in this article, he quotes uh, Notre Dame's Jeffrey Lehman Mm -hmm. and says, Trump does best among evangelicals with one key trait. They don't really go to church. Take them to church. Take them to church. (laughs) I mean, uh, so evangelicals that don't go to church used to be a oxymoron, right? But now because evangelicals become a demographic, a political term, uh, it really you can be an evangelical and not go to church. So in the primary, Trump led Cruz by 27 points among Republicans who did not attend church. Mm -hmm. Uh, He he trailed Cruz by a lot with uh, Republicans who did go to church. And so I think the further right you go and the further left you go, uh, often we're finding that there's less of a a religious background. and, and, um, And then the more extreme it gets when it comes to the current culture war, which isn't really over you know, moral things anymore. It's like national identity, racial identity. Uh, so, so let's talk about evangelical is evangelical. Uh, has it jumped the shark? Is it beyond recovery? Yeah, man, it's a good question. Cause to be quite honest, um, 
it's a term that, that I never use to self-describe. Uh, we were pastoring uh, for, for the last eight years before starting our ministry now, Power of Change, and there was no way I was using that term because of its political undertones and the mingling of so many things that, that carry a lot of baggage that I just simply did not want to be known for in New Jersey. And so for me, what did we want to be known for? Well, we wanted to be known be, being centered on the biblical gospel, that Christ died to save sinners, of which we are foremost, uh, that, that God is reconciling all things to himself through his King Jesus, and that we wanted to have our citizenship, our allegiance uh, in him. And so that means if your allegiance is there, it's going to transcend, say, maybe the political buckets that people want to line up and, and battle, uh, you know, whether that's left or right or libertarian or communist or whatever it might be. And so I don't use the term, um, certainly the terms that people use to identify evangelicals. I would hold some of those theological beliefs, uh, but posture and culture, way of relating to people. Uh, who are we known with? Sometimes I don't. I don't use it. Yeah, at all. I so don't use it at all. Yeah, you, you have thrown the word out already. I have I've yeah. fully. And even like, what do you um, mean by posture towards culture? You know, it's a word I use often. I used it in a sermon uh, last Sunday in Oklahoma. I used it in the training uh, that I was shaping evangelistic cultures in the church. The word posture I use a lot. Um, I don't know if it's just because. Um, cared a lot about what kind of wrestling stance you had, if your head's over too far, how you stand. So I use the word posture as how we stand in the world amidst with and next to others. Yeah, that's good. And so we look at Jesus, John 13, he's a foot washer, man, which was a household servant. Um, and he said to his people, do likewise. So our stance in the culture isn't one of power takers, but rather those who exist to serve. And so humility, civility, love of neighbor, love of your enemies, uh, standing uh, even in the face of power for justice, yeah. things that are actually good, right, and true. Um, I think the church needs to care about its posture because if it just looks like arrogant power broker, I just really care about my money and, and my control over other people's, particularly people's of colors, white evangelicalism, then looks uh, hypocritical uh, and then also perhaps uh, a, a bit uh, uh, without clothes, so to speak. Yeah, that's good. So posture. And have you read Andy Crouch's Culture Makers? I have Culture not. Making? And somebody told me to read Andy Crouch's book on technology in the family too, because I've been writing and thinking about that a lot. I have not. I need okay. to. I need to get crouching with some crouch. Yeah, crouch, <laughs> crouch addresses postures. Yeah. So it's, it's interesting there. So. Um, and that, that gets at one reason why I would like to just throw the word out. Yeah, I'm, I'm hesitant to, because I like the fact that it's tied to gospel. We're gospel people. And in, in evangelicalism as a term, uh, in a theological sense, obviously as a history in the 20th century, when you come out of kind of the liberalism, theological liberalism, fundamentalism con uh, conversation of the early 20th century, fundamentalism pulled away from culture, form its own institutions, its own Bible colleges, its own university. Stay away from the big bad yep. world that is compromised with all this uh, secular ideology, uh, where evangelicalism was kind of birthed out of kind of the Billy Graham, the Christianity yeah. Today magazine. Hey, let's uh, let's come back into the world to engage with people in culture. Uh, in the 70s and 80s, it became very politicalized, and then now uh, younger people are just simply asking, "Is this is just another power game?" And I think postmodern yeah. suspicion 
uh, a hermeneutic of suspicion looking at culture weighs into this because like uh, what do what do people what are people really after and so when you see a movement saying character matters and that cigars in the white house matters but then you hear our current president saying certain things leading up to the thing and, and people just ignore it yep and, and it doesn't matter at all because lord because knows it's why. bad if you're a democrat but if you're a republican it's okay and that's where the emperor uh, or the evangelical has no, no clothes yeah so and i do think and i I would love to talk about how the church ought to exist now in light of this, because yeah. I think one of the reasons I'm tired of the word is because that moral majority trajectory has taken the church to a place, at least in the evangelical world, where we are wanting to, we, we see changing culture as exerting political coercive power. Yeah. And I think that that is a a fundamental misunderstanding of the church. So I do think the church is political in the sense that yeah. it represents the kingdom of God, a polis of in people the world. in the world yes. among power structures. But but Jesus, you know, thinking about that idea of the the posture of Jesus as yeah. getting low and serving yeah. and loving neighbors. Dying for people. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And and even Jesus said, I'm gonna set you before kings and rulers, and I'll tell you what to say. He said that to some of his friends and followers. And certainly throughout history there have been Christians uh, who have existed on, amidst all sorts of governmental structures. Um, American democracy, we're familiar with that. You know, uh, you know, we have no king but Jesus, the things that were said in the revolution. Uh, but under monarchies, under communist dictatorships and commissar bosses in Eastern Europe, there were deep, Richard Wombrand existed, killed by those folks. Um, today, the church has evolved consistently for decades under different uh, governmental policies, say in the Far East and China. And so, uh, or, or the clan structures of of. Uh, Lord help us, the Irish people long ago were uh, chieftains and clans and very violent people. Uh, people like St. Patrick existed and formed a counterculture within that culture. That's right. And the church must be that. And that means that some of our views on, on political matters will line up with Democrats, Republicans, uh, Jesusins, um, and we have to have a prophetic voice where we speak from the scriptures, uh, from the truth as citizens of another realm uh, to the structures of power uh, in the service of people. And so, and I'm not saying there's nothing that, that's on, on the right or nothing that's on the left that's of value, but we have to be a peacemaking people in the borderlands, right? Yep. Um, I think the church functions best as an underground people with a different Lord um, so that we can love uh, the least and the oppressed and speak for justice. Uh, and that, and that, you know, what does that mean for immigration? What does that mean for the unborn? What does that mean for people who, who no one cares about? Um, single moms, uh, folks that are outcast. What does it mean for uh, voting on, you know, dreamers and immigration right. policy? And some of these things are going to challenge left and right. And, and, and that makes people uncomfortable. And I think as a church, Christian people should make people on the left and the right uncomfortable when we do speak. But even more important is how do we speak? And that's yep. where I think that term posture, posture. is so important. Yeah, the, the church represents the kingdom. You know, I think Romans 13, when Paul talks about honoring the state, the, sta yeah. the state wields the sword uh, as God's way of his tool of justice, his tool of restraint of evil, yeah. of human flourishing. Yeah. And yet the church and people in the church... Uh, we should speak prophetically with a mm -hmm. posture of humility and yeah. service yeah. to the state to combat injustice right. and oppression, and and ultimately we obey a kingdom. We don't know. I mean, we our highest 
king is King Jesus. That's right. That's right. And even that, like that, that's a such a tension we see in the scriptures that we are to obey the government. You know, we drive on a certain side of the road. We we have certain tax laws that we uh, are part of this system that we all we obey. We don't murder people. Uh, we don't steal. Uh, we don't shoplift at the grocery store or whatever because we obey the government. And the government is there for good. Uh, at the same time, when the government is there for evil, we see precedent in both the Old and New Testament of God's people uh, disobeying government. Now, there's a long discussion on that about do you di- disobey a government that allows bad stuff in in the law, or do you disobey the government when it compels you to do bad things right. by law? And I, I, I'm kind of in that latter camp. Yep, and it gets tricky because so someone like a, a Dietrich Bonhoeffer pr- provides a— yeah, a really bon- interesting. Jesse's the director, yeah. of the bon- global, global director of the Bonhoeffer House. Yep, an international ministry. That's right. <laughs> We're in Canada. That's right. Yeah. Uh, shout out to Craig. And What's up, Zoe. Craig in hey, Canada? Uh, you know, Bonhoeffer provides a model for wanting to honor and respect the state. Until what what he would say is, and and I think this is helpful, although it's not always clear. At some point, the state stops being the state right. when it when it becomes. Uh, something that is no longer restraining injustice, no longer promoting good, but doing it, but doing evil and doing yeah. injustice, yeah. and so, yeah. and, but that gets tricky to. Yeah, we have great, that. we have great examples historically of Christians who nonviolently uh, protested and disobeyed uh, civil authority because it was doing evil. And you c- and, certainly saw that in Martin Luther King Jr., who also, absolutely. you know. Martin Luther King Jr. and Dietrich Bonhoeffer influenced by Gandhi. Yeah. I mean, it's really interesting yeah. uh, how you see this all over. There's there's a lot of inter, inter, interdependencies and in historical movements of nonviolence against oppression or, or evil doing states, and uh, we see in the Old Testament with the Hebrew midwives who you know don't kill babies because killing babies is wrong yeah. before God. We see this in the apostles, the followers of Jesus, who are told, commanded by the authorities, don't speak anymore in this name, and they said, judge for yourselves what is right. Should we obey you or God? And when the choice comes to obeying God or or the the man, so to speak, we we certainly submit ourselves to the Lord. And then you know, come what may, you know, we yeah. face that with courage. And uh, I, yeah, and you know, one of the things I want to end this conversation saying is, man, I I really want my heart is for the church. You know, we live in we're a small town in Southwest Virginia, so we're not doing a whole lot. But college town, college town. But I, I, well, I think the potential church, to do a lot. There potential with these young yes. people going out to shape the world. What is their view of of others, race, justice, money, you know, there's so much going on with these yeah, young, and that, young and folks. Yeah, and that gets at what I'm, what I'd like to encourage people to think through is, uh, rather than thinking about changing culture as uh, getting upstream in politics and exerting coercive political power, setting policy, uh, that's, some people are called to do that. Yeah. But I think that that misunderstands the way culture changes. It's not just a river where you try and find your way upstream. And it's specifically probably less political than mm-hmm. than the moral majority. It is less political than mm-hmm. the moral majority thought it was as far as changing culture. And we can see that because yeah. we have had, you know, Christian Republicans in office and culture has still changed. It, mm-hmm. You know, we can't, Anyway, and Christian Democrats in office, and you know, frustrated that things haven't changed. That, yeah, that one of the things I really care about for us as a people is um, civility to discuss political philosophy ideas, and not simply just going from everyone becomes a Nazi really fast. Yeah, and, which and, is you, yeah. one reason why you, 
Shouldn't talk politics on Facebook. Can I say that? <laughs> yeah. Facebook is like... Um, Unless you're an excellent writer and humble and aren't going to be reactionary. I haven't met that person yeah, on Facebook. It's, it's, doesn't, it's um, not a medium that pr- pr- provides a forum for slow thought and deliberation. Yeah, Facebook is like having a few drinks and then arguing. Yeah, and then throwing up everything <laughs> you, you haven't thought through for the whole world to yeah, see. Yeah, it's just... Oh, oh man. Word. It's just but, not a, not a call, great place for good... Good discourse. Culture is influenced uh, bi-directionally. Certainly, uh, those uh, in elite institutions, whether that's academia, whether that's governments, whether that's uh, what people traditionally think is power, or sideways influence. Like even last night, uh, dis- the discussion on CNN that I saw about Jimmy Kimmel influencing the healthcare debate uh, more than politicians and policy, just simply because he cares and he's a person that people relate to. And then certainly we all influence each other in our families. I, I certainly know that, yeah. say, racism has been passed down subtly uh, through families and institutions that weren't challenged or silently accepted because they were beneficial to uh, the dominant culture. And so all of us can ha- have a role to play in, in shaping our future together. And certainly my, my open prayer is like, have we thought about you know the view of the state in Plato's Republic or Aldous Huxley's a brave new world, or or have we thought of the role of government in the scriptures in the few places right that it is mentioned? Yeah, uh, and then how? What issues that are that are so uh, soundbite smashed in everyone's face are actually issues of biblical justice that we should care about, whether it's on the right or the left, and then we try our best to find a place to vote because we do have that right. I do think we should vote very hard. I, I miss voting this last election. Did not vote for Trump or Hillary. I, I, I went to the wrong airport, quite literally, coming home. I thought I was flying this airline. I always fly out of Trenton, and my flight was out of Philly, and I spent all day in the car listening to this crazy election cycle. And so I was uh, not conscientiously sitting out. I just couldn't vote, didn't vote, and certainly uh, kind of glad now. Yeah. Uh, kind of glad yeah. now. <laughs> This was not a not a fun election to vote. Yeah, I wasn't going to vote for Donald Trump. I knew that beforehand. Yeah, I I could not vote for either yeah. either major candidate. You know, and he, so I'm the church guy. So I'm going to just say the church <laughs> the church should hold out a vision that is both compelling and stands as a corrective and even a rebuke. Yep. Uh, it's compelling because it's a it's human flourishing at its best in a fallen world where yep. where we see. Um, we see what what we can't we can't get it with the government we can't get yeah. it with the state but yeah. we can get it with the kingdom and that's there's you know, a there's a gentleman um, who passed away not long ago named Gardner C Taylor who was a pastor who who was a Bible guy preacher but also overlapped with Dr King influence all those guys but very much stayed a churchman his whole career um, some wanted him to be more uh, in the political activist kind of uh, robes so to speak and he stayed in the pulpit. Wonderful preacher. His a book by I think Jared Alcantara, "Learning from a Legend," uh, gets at the nature of the prophetic voice yeah. uh, from the church. Like you're saying, hey, it should challenge the paradigms, but at the same time, we should be a people of peace. Uh, peace, blessed are the peacemakers, right? As yeah. Jesus taught us, in they'll the be called peace. sons of God, sons of God, children of God. Yeah. So just to tie up this article, we're seeing that that we're seeing this with unchurched conservatives. They're more likely to find their identity in the alt right movements. Uh, disengagement from religion shifts one's identity, often from morality to race, mm. uh, from religion to nation. It, it's leading to more vicious and violent culture wars than the previous culture wars. You know, secularization 
and, and I'm, I'm aiming in both directions, yeah, yeah. rather than being the vision of peace and flourishing has led America into an even more divisive political battle. Beinart sums it up by saying it's making American politics even more convulsive and zero sum. Yeah. There has to be a winner. There has to be a loser. Somebody must die. The in gospel and the church has to offer something different. Amen. So I heard you uh, you built something recently. Yeah, yeah. We're going to shift our conversation to a segment of the Gospel Underground we're calling Review-ish. Uh, we call it Review-ish and not Reviews because that's too high a bar for us to traverse. Uh, Review-ish Just means ish. we, we can yeah. Yeah, talk about uh, books, movies, stuff we like in a uh, uh, whatever way we want. If it's footnoted or not, uh, we are going to review something today. One of the challenges of raising kids today, and, and I've been doing that almost 16 years. My oldest will turn 16 in a couple, man, what's today? In a week. No, in five days. I've got one about to drive a car. Um, so obviously there's certain parenting rhythms when kids are little. Um, I talk a lot about that in some of the, the teaching I do on the road. But also when kids become teenagers, we live in a technological uh, age. I'm actually a fan of this. I'm an early adopter. I like all the gadgets. My degree is in some of that. You Are you going to get the iPhone X? Uh, I am not because I'm not a rich person. <laughs> uh, okay. Comparatively, yeah, I guess compared to some parts of the world, I'm very rich, but um, uh, I didn't want to, one, spend the money. I didn't want to wait till November uh, and be on a waiting list for, for a device um, that I didn't need. And so I'm just going from the 6S to an 8 plus. And the, the monthly payments on that are exactly the same. It's not going to affect our budget as a family. Uh, but yeah, I love I love all that stuff. I read uh, tech blogs. Uh, we'll, our next podcast is going to be on uh, technology, robots, artificial intelligence, and how, how we should see that as Christians. So I can't wait for that next week. Um, but I have teenagers. They have, they have phones. Their friends have phones. There's social media apps. Uh, there's all sorts of research being done on the distractive nature of technology, how it's loosening our bonds with each other, uh, our presence with each other is suffering. Certainly, uh, even brain function can be scattered uh, by our use and misuse of technology. And so I'm, I'm always seeking ways. I think the, the big issues with teenagers, if you, you want to boil them down, are, are identity issues, right? Uh, who, who, who we are. Uh, uh, technology, and the third one I would say is relationships, and you can put all kind of you know sexuality in in that. So identity, technology, and relationships. So I've got two teens, one one that's almost entering that, and so I, I was been begging God, give us wisdom of how we both live a plugged in life. Uh, and an unplugged life, and so this is another reason why I've been told I need to read Crouch, uh, his other book. So this this past week, I created a home device charging station. That's a big, big, uh, big sentence. And in other words, we've always had bedtimes for our kids. Kids go to bed at certain times so they can sleep and be human in the morning. And uh, our devices, though, um, we wanted to think, oh, where did those go? Do they have a bedtime? And for me, this is this is much more for me probably than my children because I, there was a certain rhythm of life that was developing for me where, you know, you roll over in the morning, your phone is your alarm clock. Anybody out there understand this? Uh, and then all of a sudden you got 60 million notifications and you, you're, you're all of a sudden reading emails and maybe some of those Facebook things that we talked about. I'm not 
I'm not reading the scripture. Uh, I'm not praying first thing in the morning as was my practice for years and years. And so what to do? My kids also uh, had devices that I didn't want in their rooms all night. So we created a charging station. It's on my blog, powerofchange.org front slash blog. We'll put it in the show notes as well. But we we bought this thing that had slots and we bought these Anchor, A-N-K-E-R. Anchor is fantastic. If you're looking for USB chargers, batteries or anything, they're on Amazon. They're killer. Their quality is great. So I bought two five port chargers, 12 inch cables. There's like, there's cables flying out of this thing like uh, Medusa, it's Medusa's hair, man. Uh, and now uh, there's also a human factor. You can't just buy devices and think that fixes your problems. Uh, the human aspect to it is that all of us put our phones down by nine o'clock at night. They plug in, all the devices go in one place so we can see them. We do ask for them. Hey, where's your, your phone? Um, and then they stay there till the morning. And so we can have breakfast, talk to each other. Uh, we can read books uh, at night. Uh, we can wake up in the morning without something dinging on the bedside table. And it, we've been at it a little over a week. It's been wonderful. And that I think sounds good. Yeah, I thank God for my kids. They've received it really well. Only a couple eye rolls. Um, but for the most part, this has uh, been something really good for our family to help us unplug all the things that we purchase. You can link on that uh, blog entry. Uh, do your own thing as your kids get older. But by any means, we look at people's faces when they're talking to you, not at a screen. That's right. How hard was that to, to make? It's pretty easy. There, there was this little kind of fake, uh, I don't know, it's probably composite cardboard underneath but kind of a fake leather on top um so the underneath you there's a little platform where all the slots are yeah, you pull up this you, thing yeah you pull up the platform you put your usb chargers there you go into a power strip with both of those you take the uh take the little uh, lightning or micro usb cables out the sides uh and then they all can be uh tucked in nicely and we got a little five dollar end table that we had years ago that was just sitting in the living room we stuck it on there our kids all have chromebooks uh, they're in the public school here in montgomery county virginia even my fifth grader has a chromebook i have no idea why um, but they all get plugged in underneath as well i like that you're gonna have to build me one of those yeah man my they, kids are uh my kids are young yeah that's right but they're already they want to they just yeah, yeah. they want to play games they want to and the question yeah, the question right for parents of young kids of when when does a kid get a phone yeah you know, that's a question perhaps we'll take answer up. that I'll answer it real quick we'll do an episode perhaps in the future on families and technology fully but uh for us um our kids got a phone when we thought they needed one, not when they thought they needed one. Uh, that's a big distinction because kids will see their friends that have stuff yeah. and they'll say, oh, why don't I have one? Johnny doesn't have one. So for us, that happened when our kid, my son's 11. He does not have one. Many of his friends do. Um, it happened when the kids were going to be significantly far away from us and we needed to one know where they were and have them be able to contact us. So for us, that happened when our kids were playing in a soccer tournament in Connecticut kit and another kid was playing in Pennsylvania. I was a pastor at the time on the weekend in New Jersey, and our kids were farmed out all over the place. So uh, I think Kayla was 12 for her birthday is when she got hers because she was going to have to be far from us. I don't think there's a hard and fast rule when they need one. They don't need one, man, 25. I don't care. Um, some people maybe want to be old school, not have that kind of thing. It's very rare these days, uh, but not until you think they need one. Parents, big rule of parenting, you are the one who is in charge. It's good. 
Well, our our uh, technology discussion will continue uh, next week, Jesse. Have you ever seen like uh, Terminator? Terminator Two, Terminator yeah, I've seen Two, them, seen them both. Yeah, but uh, there's not, more, but I've seen those two. A lot of them are really bad, but uh, Terminator Two, classic. As a matter of fact, most of my planning for next week is I'm going to go back and rewatch Terminator Two. I'm going to watch Blade Runner. Ooh, <laughs> a little, little edgy, Ooh. but I'm doing it. There's, yeah, there's another one of those coming out. I heard there's, there's going to be a lot of Skynet jokes next week. A lot I think. of Skynet jokes. In um, preparation, all my all of my devices, I'm now pretty sure are going to become sentient at some point. That's so right. I smile at them <laughs> when I walk by my computer. Yeah, I just yeah. smile at it, kind. just in case. You should be kind. I wanted to, to remember I was kind. Yes, yeah, that's, that's right. right. Get into the memory banks of your robots early. Program them to have fond, fuzzy, nice memories of you. So when they kill everyone else, you will be their pet. That's what we're talking about <laughs> next week on The Other Guy. Thanks, as always, for joining us here from the Shed Quarters. Thanks to Sugar and the High Lows for the song, See It For Yourself, our theme song here on The Gospel Underground. The Gospel Underground is a joint production of Power of Chains and the global Bonhoeffer House. Training, worldwide. Worldwide training leaders for the next generation. Send your feedback comments, questions. You might have a question you want us to take up here on the Gospel Underground. Send those to info, I-N-F-O, at gospelunderground.org. We are a dialogue taking place in the borderlands. Talk about politics today between the church and culture. And we hope you see, see you thoughtfully engaging with us in those lands. 